Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, welcome everyone to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you are all arriving into whatever this is, this this global pandemic of epic proportions that has created so much chaos in so many ways. And uh, I hope you guys are finding the space and time to arrive into each day with a fresh perspective and not letting the days of past bleed into a new future or not letting your fight, flight, freeze responses to put you in an inherent state of panic. I think panic is one of the worst things we can be in right now because when we feel a sense of power within ourselves, we can act with a sense of power for everyone around us. And that's really what this week's guest, Aaron Houghton's message hinges on. You know, so I recorded Aaron's episode before the pandemic really took face. But as I was re-listening to his episode and going through the show notes and really putting together his episode for this week, I realized that we put ourselves in a lot of stress, constant stress. You know, before it was this idea that hard work equals success. I believe that sure as heck growing up. And I put myself through a lot and a lot, a lot of stress to get where I am today. And I'm one of the luckier ones because I stumbled across spirituality. I stumbled across meditation. I stumbled across, you know, just healthier ways to build a more balanced and harmonious life while I'm working towards what I want. And that's what I teach today, whether it's in mentoring or on this podcast. I mean, that's really what I stand for and advocate for. But I recognize that there's a lot of people who don't have that awareness and they just work as hard as they can because they think that success outside of them or something outside of them, whether it's money in the bank or prestige or an award or recognition from their colleagues or friends and oftentimes their parents or loved ones is everything they need to feel like they're enough. And Aaron, after finding himself on the floor of his dream home, unable to move, realized there had to be a better way to live. Uh, he's been an entrepreneur since the age of 17, launched more than 10 tech startups, including one which he sold to a publicly traded company for $169 million before his 30th birthday. But to what end? On his way to it, he had panic attacks, debilitating anxiety, chronic stress, and honestly put himself in a few near-death situations to where he probably wouldn't have been able to get back up. And over the past five years, Aaron has really taken a, a change for the better. He's evolved his own mission to now help entrepreneurs save themselves so that they can change the world. He's passionate about studying how entrepreneurs manage stress and uses his insights to build his own techniques that deliver high performance without compromising mental and physical health. I don't think you need to compromise your health in order to be successful. I don't think you need to work long hours. You need to work hard. There's never going to be a substitute for hard work, and I will be the first one to tell you that. 
But at the same time, working hard doesn't have to feel like hard work. If you're adding chronic stress, debilitating panic, and overwhelming amounts of pressure on yourself to create something, then you're not doing yourself a favor because what you're really doing is you're borrowing from the health bucket to get into the success bucket. But when you get to the success bucket, your health is going to deteriorate. To me, living a grounded, balanced life is about harmoniously growing all the parts of your life. It's about taking care of your health while you stay focused on your dreams, while you make time for your family and loved ones, while you make time for connection to something bigger within yourself. And you can't have all of that. And in today's episode, that's what Aaron and I discuss. We discuss this fallacy that you have to sacrifice everything in your life in order to get the things you want. Because that just isn't true. And take it from individuals like Aaron who have gone through the ropes, made all the mistakes, and share his perspective so that you can discover what calm feels like. Discover the, the sane way to, to navigate life and release the need for external validation so that you can live your life on your terms and grow faster as a result of it. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I hope you guys are staying calm, collected, poised, and ready to really turn whatever this is for you, whatever crisis this is, whatever chaos this is for you into something that you can lean into as an opportunity for growth, expansion, love, creation, and lasting fulfillment that will hinge on so much more than anything outside of you. So love you guys. Hope you guys enjoy this one. If you haven't already subscribed to us on iTunes, that means is every single time we release a guest episode or a solo episode, it arrives straight into your inbox. Head to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded to get involved in different ways, whether it's in our Facebook communities or on our email communities, to, or if you just want to meet other people or say hi to me, uh, that's the best way to do so. But anyways, I am uh, I don't know what the future holds for us. I have no idea. I, I, I just don't know. Everything changes so fast and I feel like now we're getting through and past a Uh, a health crisis and arriving into an economic crisis. And these are scary times. But if you can find the space to create calm, if you can find the space to separate yourself from the fight, flight, or freeze responses that force us to be in chronic stress, you give yourself the best fighting chance to make the most of what what we're in right now. So remember that. And with that, I... I'm so excited to begin this week's episode with my man, Aaron Howden. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having a phenomenal day so far. I am so grateful to finally be doing this with you, my man, Aaron. Welcome. Hey, Raj. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Absolutely, man. I know we've been trying to make this dance work for a while, so I'm glad we are finally tangoing in one way, shape, or form. All right, so already introed you, and so we're going to dive straight in. One of the things that really fascinated me about your story is almost hindsight 2020. Looking back, you've been extremely reflective on sort of like the journey from from all the businesses you've started and how the role 
that stress has played in the creation of those businesses and how it sort of landed you where you are today. I'm curious, like the stress created something great too, right? Like, so what's the healthy balance of stress? I guess I would love to hear that from you. Yeah. You know, some of the research around flow the last couple of years has kind of indicated that to get into a state of flow, you actually have to have an activating amount of stress to get into it. Right. Yeah. So there's a component of stress that I think is important to the process of creation, to the process of entrepreneurship, right? Like what is the first slide in every pitch deck any, any entrepreneur has ever built? It's the problem slide. Like what's the problem in the industry that's, (laughs) that's affecting you, that's bothering you, that's creating stress in your life that causes you to get up every morning and be frustrated. So I think it, it plays an important part in it. That amount of stress that we're talking about there is like a little bit of stress, right? <laughs> and I think what's, what's often misunderstood around that is that at least for entrepreneurs like myself, 20-year career, 11 software companies, three exits along the way, lots of big burning fireballs along the way as well. You know, that process often leads to a level of stress that just builds and builds and builds. Yeah. And it just keeps building. And we, and we stay maybe 8 out of 10 in, in the stress and fear response and activation stage. And that's not healthy. We can talk more about all the reasons why that's not healthy, but I think we can all probably agree when you're eight out of 10 scared, like the feeling after you've just gotten in a car accident and you walk out of your car and you can't stand up because your knees are shaking, right? Like that's actually a pretty common state where a lot of entrepreneurs and even just successful people live all of the time these days, whether they notice it or not. Yeah, absolutely. So when you said accumulation, like what does that mean? So like, let's say you have one degree of stress, like are all stresses created equal and do they just keep building on each other or are there certain stresses that sort of pile up a lot faster than others? Yeah. I mean, in terms of how our brain thinks about it, they're probably all the same. Like as in some things can stress us out more than other things, but to the brain, I haven't seen any differentiation between one type of stress or another. I think that's probably what's like, what's so interesting about this is that the lizard brain, you know, the reptilian brain, kind of the the three layers of the brain, our original brain that formed is good at running kind of the automatic parts of our body. And then on top of that, you've got the the limbic brain or the mammalian brain that is in charge of emotion and pattern recognition. And as far as we can tell, it, it can't really tell the difference between like you literally, your life is on the line, you're getting attacked by a bear or a mountain lion, as we might have happened here in Boulder. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're just feeling like reputational risk or ego risk, or you're about to have a huge sales presentation with a client that you have to close to make payroll next month. It can't really tell the difference between those two things. So I wouldn't say that it's, it's like there are different categories, but certainly for each of us individually, there's different types of situations that trigger fear responses in us differently, right? Some people are afraid of dogs. Yeah. Um, people are afraid of getting on airplanes and some people are afraid of almost nothing. I would love to be one of those people. That must be great. It must um, be great. Yeah. I, I envy those. Uh, I've been watching a lot of videos recently on like Kobe Bryant and his passing and you know, yeah. it's just, I see like the fearless nature and I'm, I'm like, God, I want to be Kobe. I just want to <laughs> be Kobe. I was so reminded of those levels. I was out on a mountain bike trip with a couple of friends in Moab in October and we were going out to do some really hardcore mountain biking and it's early in the morning and we're, we're biking up this canyon, getting kind of just grinding, grinding, getting up there. And I get startled by this just loud noise. It's just like, pop. sounds like something exploded. Like maybe part of the mountain fell off or something. And I look up and somebody's just base jumped off of a cliff, like a thousand feet above me. And the parachute is open, boom, like 200 feet from the ground. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the person's literally right above me. And then they just wave and they cruise and they land over on the sandbar next to the, to the river next to me. And here I go on my hardcore mountain biking trip. And it's not hardcore at all compared to what that guy just did. And, yeah. uh, you know, just two it's human all, beings, two different perspectives on the world. It's all relative. It's all relative from where you're standing. So let me ask you this. Obviously, then, our 
protection or the fear, like, I guess fear is a useful emotion, right? It keeps us alive or it's kept us alive for a long, long, long period of time. How yeah. do you begin to differentiate between the stresses that are created from a fear of something irrational versus the stresses that are created from a fear of something that keeps you safe? I think about it a little differently, which is just, you mentioned before that, that sort of escalating level of stress and fear response, yeah. right? Just always kind of ticking up one notch. I think about it from the standpoint more of like, how do we build cycles and systems and processes in our lives to return us back down to normal? And like I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of people don't actually have a lot of like recent experiences with normal because they live up here eight out of 10. Yeah. And so one of the things I like to do with, with entrepreneurs is help them think about uh, or help them go through an experience like a meditative experience, a bunch of different ways to do it, uh, like Wim Hof method, breathing yeah. technique, emotional release techniques through breathing, to use those techniques to help people get down to calm so they can remember what it feels like. I think a lot of us have like lost touch with what calm actually feels like. And so there's a lot of, you know, you can be as aggressive as if you look at models that you see a lot of type A people do, like the two week silent retreat in Costa Rica, yeah. you know, at a, where everyone's doing yoga. Um, and meditation or, or, you know, all the way down to something as simple as, you know, just literally sitting here and taking a deep breath. I'm going to do it yeah. right now. <sighs> like, that's so simple. Thanks for joining me. Of course. <laughs> Thanks for inviting it's, me. It feels so good, right? It does. It does. I, I, anytime I can so take simple. a second, anytime I can take a second, like, breathing is actually one of the most like, I mean, it's, it's, it's freedom. Like, I mean, yeah. in every breath, I mean, when you take a few breaths and you actually give yourself the space to take more than one breath, like when you get to that third breath, it's like, it's almost like a remembrance that, oh man, the world is not actually burning down right now. Like it's burning <laughs> yeah. down in my mind in the future. It may be influenced by something I did in the past, but right now in this moment, your breath is almost like a beautiful anchor. And like your senses and what's real, just the same way you can touch something or keep, feel your feet on the ground. I did want to yeah. ask you though, you mentioned the word calm. We forgot what calm feels like. Yeah. What does calm feel like? I developed this really sort of weird stage in calm after starting to meditate pretty regularly about 18 months ago. So okay. I think that's an important part of my story too, is that, you know, 38 years old, 20 years running companies, like this hasn't been a part of my story in the past. And it's why... Um, part of why, you know, meditation is a piece of the tool, one of the tools in the, the toolbox. But, you know, overall, I didn't have a lot of mitigating strategies at all along the way. Yeah. But what, what I feel really now when I get into deep meditation is that um, I actually lose the sense that I'm in control of parts of my body. And where I feel it first is in my arms. And I've been meditating using Headspace for a while, using a Muse headset device. Uh, yeah. People aren't familiar with it, you know, 300 bucks on Amazon. You can yeah. get one of these. They make them in a pair of Smith Optic sunglasses now. Um, and it actually is an uh, electroencephalograph device that looks at your brainwave uh, states and tells you like how well you're doing to, to getting down to calm. As like a, a computer science and data geek, you know, software guy, like I love being able to quantify things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's for me um, when I started realizing I was getting into really low levels of meditative states. One thing that just started to happen is that, and when I say this to people, they sometimes think I'm crazy if they haven't experienced it before. But my arms literally fall off of my body, is in they're just not there anymore. I don't know where my hands are. I don't know if they're still connected. I can't feel that they're actually sitting on my legs, which they usually are when I'm meditating. Um, they just kind of disappear. And what's really interesting to, me, uh, interesting to me about that is that that's often where I feel a lot of my tension and pressure when I'm stressed out. It's in my forearms and it's in my hands. And it's so funny that when I get into a not even a super deep meditative, meditative state, but kind of a mild to medium, when I'm kind of getting in the zone, that's what disappears. It, like that part that holds my tension just kind of disconnects 
with my body. So like, how do you describe that generally for people? I would say it's probably um, that the, the sensations caused by sensory inputs, everything that my body can feel around me become a lower priority. And I kind of just disappear into my mind as in my mind doesn't isn't burdened by the fact that it's attached to a body that it has to maintain. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't think about that I need to go probably eat in an hour or all these other triggers that it would have related to body. The body just kind of collapses into itself and disappears for a moment. I hope I'm not getting too meta- metaphysical here, but that's, no, what it, no. that's what it feels like to me. Like I'm literally like, a, you know, it could be a floating head at that point. There's just nothing else. Honestly, you should go even more meta. Like I, I need you to go, just go as meta as you can, because the more ways you can describe exactly what you're feeling, the more yeah. ways anybody listening, including myself, are going to have an insight into like what's possible when you truly yeah. get into that state of ease and flow. And I want to, I guess, come back to like how you even got on this journey, because I feel like there's only two ways you can either you can get into like the mitigation of stress or realizing you even need to mitigate. One, yeah. you start picking up practices along the way. You start seeing how good it feels. And then you're like, oh, this is great. I was going to keep doing this. Or you get slapped by the universe life and you get yep. thrown a massive curveball that forces you to sort of look back through a, a different lens and, and make some serious changes. Which one was it for you? Yeah, definitely curveball for me. So my story goes back to 2013 and I'm laying on the floor of my office, which was, which was a home office at the time. And it was this beautiful, lived on this amazing golf course in North Carolina, this beautiful view, beautiful house, looked like a French chateau. I had like an 800 square foot home office. It had a a shuffleboard table in it and a bar. And I mean, it was like everything I envisioned when I was starting as an entrepreneur and I'm laying, you know, back on the carpet, just watching the ceiling fan spin around. And I literally cannot get off the ground. I have so much tension that the stress has manifests itself in like a head to toe body cramp. Like literally my muscles just can't move and my back feels like my shoulder, shoulder blades are being pressed into each other. And I feel like I'm literally going to split from the inside out. And I have this thought, what's happening? (laughs) Am I going to (laughs) die? Like I literally thought I was, this was maybe the beginning of like having a heart attack. So what is that? Seven years ago. So I'm 31 years old. So I'm like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I literally feel like I'm getting split apart from the inside. I think something is physically wrong with me that I that I'm, might be about to die. And so I literally grab my phone. Instead of calling 911, I actually call a, a really good friend of mine, my former CFO, who happened to have a like a counseling degree that he got in like counseling and therapy. <laughs> so he was the only person I knew that was Perfect. the kind of... Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least I knew him. I mean, I was embarrassed body's, by this. Dude. Body's locked up. Let me just call Buddy who's got something I need to hear. Yeah, my old CFO, right? <laughs> Doesn't seem like the guy you'd call. But he was the only guy I knew who never was the combination of like business and also a little bit of the mindfulness and like therapy side of it, right? Yeah. Mental performance. And I thought, God, there's something going on here. I wonder if he has any experience with it. And he referred me to a therapist. And that was kind of my, my first opening up and, and talking about like, one, what's wrong with me and how can I get better? And then two, having this epiphany of like, man, I thought that like being successful, winning awards, making a lot of money, all these things that I was on the path toward were like worthy answers that that's what would solve any of the problems I had. It turns out that the the stress I went through in order to chase those things and accomplished many and almost all of them actually delivered this as a side effect. And it was the first time I think I really realized that, man, there is a cost to trying to be successful. There's a cost to trying to change the world. And for many entrepreneurs and founders, um, it's destroying us and our companies. 
I guess if you had to break down all that stress you felt, how much of it was actual physical exhaustion versus more like, I guess, emotional or, or, or I guess like, cause I always, even when I think about burnout in general, like I tend to yeah. put them in like two separate categories. Like you've got like physical burnout where you're just not sleeping and you're not, your body's not nourished and you're going through a lot of stress in that category. But then there's like almost like another tank. It's like an emotional yeah. tank where like, you're not really working hard, but you're just like not interested. You're not showing up. So like, how much of your stress was almost like, was it a combination of the two? Did one accelerate the other? Um, and how did you learn to sort of dabble and, and sort of bring yourself back to life um, with all of these things that you were now just figuring out? Yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, it's like, there's three categories and I don't think you can disconnect them. There, there are personal resources as human beings. It's energetic, emotional, and then our physical body. I think those are the resources that every entrepreneur should be thinking about managing and how much they're spending out of those three categories in order to chase their dreams. Right. Yeah. Like how much of that in that moment, it was, it was probably 80% emotionally driven. If you think about it, it actually takes a decent amount of energy to have all of your muscles lock up. Like if like I've never had that happen before after, you know, going on a seven hour hike, you know, like I've had a leg cramp and I've like need some more electrolytes or I've had little things that go off, but I've never had any sensation like that before. You know, I've right. had my heart rate. If I start sprinting, that makes sense. I've also had my heart race while sitting at my desk working on my laptop. <laughs> and right. that's not physical that's driving that, right? That's emotional that's driving that. So I think they're so tied together in complicated ways that it's hard to tease them apart. But the, the emotional side of it is one of the things that, that I like to really work on with people because, you know, if you think about your emotions from like maybe you know, on the, on the, like the bipolar scale from manic up high to, to depression down low. And then in the middle is this kind of line of like calm and balance. Yeah. If you think about your life being kind of a sine wave that goes up and down from, from manic to depressive, right? The non-diagnosed bipolar people in the world or the people that do not have bipolar personality disorder kind of sit around the middle and bounce up and down. We have our good days and bad days. And really it's the amplitude of those waves, uh, how high we get and how low we get that will eventually could get you diagnosed, you know, as, as having bipolar personality disorder. Right. Entrepreneurs uh, are 11x more likely to be diagnosed with bipolar personality disorder than other types of professionals, even high stress professionals like airline pilots and attorneys. And so we, you know, we are kind of maybe either predisposed to it. Maybe this is why we become entrepreneurs, or maybe being an entrepreneur brings out these characteristics in us. But when I think about you know helping someone get emotion back in check, which ultimately should get energy back in check. We just think about like collapsing that amplitude to bring that back to the middle, right? So that we have little highs and little lows. And I think as entrepreneurs too, it's really hard for us to give up the high highs. Anybody that's yeah. a performer of any type loves actually, those, right? I was just about to ask you about that actually. Yeah. They but, feel great. Yeah. yeah. They feel great. And I think one of the messages that, that I share with people that often kind of makes them think twice is that we want to prevent those high highs. We want to have medium highs <laughs> and low highs, and we want to stay above the middle line. But the higher you go, um, if you even just look at brain chemicals, um, the things that your brain releases in those moments, it's like uh, doing hard drugs. It's similar to like doing cocaine, where lots of dopamine is released. We feel great in those moments. And there's a reason why you have a hangover after those things. And you don't need drugs to have the same sort of experience. So if you push yourself to really aggressive, high-stress situations that cause you to even win in those situations, you win an award, you get put on stage, you get recognized, your revenue hits 10 million for the first time, you land a huge customer, Fortune 500, blue chip, whatever it is, you're able to pay huge bonuses to your team, you sell your company, whatever it is. If that gets you up in that 10 out of 10 zone, there's a cost afterwards because when you pull up high, you, you fall down low. And that's just the natural order of things. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this though. Like the awareness of that though, 
right? Like, I think like if you're unaware of that and you go and experience a 10 out of 10 and then you drop, like that's going to cause a lot of emotional stress or just stress in general, right? Because you're not aware of the the duality, if you would, between the light and the dark. But if you become aware of it and then you're almost like create like anticipating or maybe even like accepting that with every high is going to be a challenging low. Does that remove mm-hmm. the need to dance in the middle? Cause I don't know. I feel like like even my lowest lows, like I guess now in hindsight, like I wasn't aware that they were lows. Like when I look back on it now, like those lows actually created a lot of beauty in my life. Right. Yeah. Like they were, they were yeah. moments, defining moments, if anything. And, and now when I have, when I'm going through a crappy time, like I'm more aware of it and I'm just kinder to myself and I practice a lot yeah. more self-love in those moments. But I don't know. It's, it kind of feels sad to like not chase those high highs. And, and because, because I'll, I'll experience a low, low, I, it, it, just, it just feels like that that's, you're missing something. I don't know. Yeah. There's some, there's some part of the spectrum maybe yeah. we're giving up. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the way I like to think about it when I talk to entrepreneurs about this is that like, you can live in those outer edges and bounce back and forth between them for periods of time in your life, right? Yeah. When you're starting a company one to two years in, you're inventing a product, you're pre like product market fit, you know, whatever it is, a big transition in your life, tragedy in your life, right? Whatever it could be. Those are periods of time that, you know, you can either be really low or really high and, and getting back to middle, of course, is kind of what we always want to do. It's the much more spiky behavior that I think is negative. It's this creating this regular pattern of chasing the high and then having the quick low and, and compacting that down to not over a total lifetime, but down to years and, and months and weeks. And sometimes an entrepreneur might have two or three of these even in the same day because things can be so dynamic in the type of environment that we live with. And so if something gets you activated to 10 out of 10, you might find yourself an hour later walking into a meeting with your team and you're down at you know negative 10. And then you might find that meeting getting you back at a seven out of 10, right? So compacting that, I think is what is important, number one. And then number two is disconnecting what we actually need from what our ego tells us that we need. A lot of those highs are external validation related, right? We are chasing the recognition of a world that we we need its recognition, right? (laughs) We all do to some degree. And so to the extent that you can sort of flip that dependency inside out, and just be okay, which is a very simple and highly loaded statement, I realize. But that's that's the process and building a cycle and a routine around letting go of the things that you can't control. And then also assigning often some of the things that you're chasing in life as other people's goals. Like that's what the world wants of you, or that's what you think you need to accomplish in order to be worthy. You know, so many of us as entrepreneurs have chips on our shoulder, right? Like we want to prove to the world that we can do this, or we want to change the world because the world's wrong. And really, all of that stuff has to do with what everyone else thinks of what we're doing. And so if we can flip that around and just control what we think of what we're doing, we can actually shortcut a lot of that. Curious question. So a lot of those highs, uh, I totally understand, actually recognize that they're external validation based, like based on ego or some need to feed the ego or some unmet needs that we've just been chasing our entire lives. I totally get that. What's the contrast, though? I guess, like, what's a high... Or what would be an example of a high that's actually not driven by the ego? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I often kind of oversimplify and put all the highs in that category. But what I can give you is just an example about why I've stopped um, not entirely drinking alcohol, but like I've reduced my alcohol intake from, you know, it's kind of crazy when sometimes you write down how many drinks you have in a week, Um, (laughs) uh, especially of us that are social and like to go out with friends or go to business meetings, go to conferences, right? When you actually like, 
write the number down. It seems a little scary. So mine was probably like 25 to 30 in a week, a couple social events, beer or two in the evening to go to bed, watch TV for a little bit. And so like that you know, it was 25 to 30 a week. I'm probably at like one, one to three a week now. And the big reason why I've done that, other than that it, it did lead to kind of a trigger from anxiety for me and just like it, it holds me higher when I want to get back down to zero. Meditation taught me about that new level of calm that we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. And alcohol for me used to be a way to like calm my mind and slow it down. Like it was an easy way to do that. My mind's racing. Let me just like veg out and watch some TV for a while. Um, you know, it would, it would create some of those high highs, right? Because in, in social situations, you have a couple drinks, then you want to go do something more awesome, add more risk, do something more interesting. You want to push the limits, right? What I found was that I was using alcohol as a way to try and get to calm but it was actually often just making me think I was calm, but mm. pushing me to do things that were more aggressive or more high energy or more kind of high on that emotional spectrum. When I started med- meditating regularly, I-, I had this epiphany that I was like, all right, this is what calm actually feels like. And that's not the state that I'm in when, I'm, when I drink alcohol. It's, it's more of a numb state that also has side effects that come after the fact, like being, hung- you know, being hungover, having ex- more elevated anxiety. And I just had this epiphany that like, wow, calm is maybe the answer. Calm is a place where I can be happy and feel incredible, but I don't have to be 10 out of 10 activated in order to feel great. I love that. Um, I do want to ask, though, because there's a part of me when I asked you that question, I thought you were going to answer something else. So I just want to ask, yeah. like, what about like service or giving? Like, let's say like one of the most fulfilling parts of business for me is being able to either create opportunities, give back or like have some element of service associated with the work that I do. And I've yeah. generally found those experiences to be massively nourishing, you know, like those experiences, like would you consider some milestone or achievement related mm-hmm. to like something related to service or giving back to be a healthy pursuit in that sort of roller coaster? Or do you think that even those like, do you think even that is part of the ego? And then it, I guess that begs an even bigger question. Is our ego absolutely useless? Great question. Yeah, for the next episode. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, right. Like it's it's what the, it's what the I think it's what the driver is behind it, right? Like yeah. I, I think you were kind of making my point at the beginning of that, which is that like the the selflessness of giving is very non ego driven until yeah. you maybe want to quantify it and say that I give the most and I give more than you, <laughs> yep. and I've reached level ten of giving, right? And then it's kind of more of your quantifying and your creating a competition out of it. It's a very type A thing. I would do that, right? It'd be a tendency I would have to, to give the most or win the giving or <laughs> turn it into a game and a competition. But um, yeah, like there's certainly ways to, to use, you know, competition as, as a self-motivating factor, right? Like I can create a reward for myself if I run a 5K every day this week, right? That will lead to health and it's something that's good for me and probably not ego-driven, but more of just like taking self-care and, and being healthy. I can also have a reward for myself, um, you know, if I give money to a charity or volunteer my time with an organization. So I think it's just it's just the mindset of how you think about it. But I think what you've given is a perfect example of a non-ego-driven way to feel really good. And in, in my experience, those highs are a little bit different. I can't explain to you like brain chemistry why. Yeah. But you like often, you know, don't wake up the next morning after volunteering all day at an orphanage and feel terrible about yourself the way you <laughs> might get off stage from winning a big award and wake up the next day and think, wow, I'm just crap. Like, you know, I got to go out and win another award to validate myself. So there's yeah. something different about that. The ego definitely messes it up for us. 
It's interesting, like, even as you're saying, like, calm, right? Calm, like, the pursuit of calm through a simple act like meditation or a habit like meditation is almost bringing your pleasure back to, like, a state of presence, right? Like, just an acknowledgement of what is and just what you're seeing around you. It almost seems like even the, like, the worthy pursuit of service or, like, like you doing something that's that's in, in a form or pursuing impact for the sake of impact is almost, like, that same sort of feeling where you're just doing your best to help people and you're driving pleasure from that joy or, and, and I feel like you can be an entrepreneur that has a mindset that is done from a place of like, what's the best thing we can do for this person or even being passionate about the problem you're solving and kind of falling back in love with why you got into business in the first place. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like that why is the thing that separates your ego from your heart what you truly want to do. And that is not an easy thing to decipher yeah. by any means. But as, yeah. as we're kind of discussing this, I'm starting to realize that like even some of those self-care, self-care practices or those things that keep you present, almost like it's all just based in the heart and what we can do as a group. Yeah. I think to me, I think about it as acceptance, right? Just accepting. We talked about it earlier, kind of accepting what's happening in the world around you. It just is what it is, right? Like we yeah. can control a couple of things, Sometimes we can control how we feel. We can use tools to prime our mind. We can control our, our health and our body in some ways. We can't control what other people do. We can't ha- you know, control how well they respond to yeah. our message. And so if you can figure out a way, it's hard. Again, we're talking about some very difficult concepts to master here, but easy to talk about. You can master being in love with the process and being in love with what you do towards these goals. I think it increases your chances of reaching those goals. Because, you know, it's not always glorious and sometimes it hurts to do what you have to do to get there. But tying all of your self-worth and how well you're going to treat yourself to whether or not you've hit this milestone or whether or not you can feel like in this moment you're measurably moving toward that goal creates a lot of uh, self-abuse. And just being okay. I think about it, especially with entrepreneurs, right? Like, you know, I've had three exits out of 11 companies. Only two of those were positive exits. <laughs> one of them was for a lot of money and one of them was positive, but quite small, right? So like really it's one good exit out of 11 companies. As an entrepreneur, if you put all of your ego and your, your self-worth on the line for your first company or your second company or even your third company, you know, it's an exercise in, in self-abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are 1 in 10 or 1 in 20 typically for big exits. You look at what angel investors look to do and they look to do about 22 deals over you know, 5 to 10 years and they expect one of them to pay back all the others. It's 1 in 20. Yet, as entrepreneurs, we create one company that we get excited about, which is great. And we work our butts off to try and accomplish our goals. And then we beat ourselves up just so uh, miserably if we're not moving forward. Instead, I think the way to think about it is that the entrepreneur and like my peer group of entrepreneurs is people that have had big exits, people that are just starting, people that are thinking about starting in the future, people that have had companies and haven't had good exits. And like, to me, the entrepreneur is, is the incredible entrepreneur, the hero of the world is the person who just decides to start. Like to me, there's no difference in these people because Amen, the rest man. of it is just, yep. it's a roll of the dice, right? Like, and yeah, so you got to fall in love with the process. How do you, uh, I love that. Thank you for that, by the way. I love the idea of just celebrating the act of courage, right? Like, I mean, when you make the decision to change your life when you make the decision to do something that hasn't been done, when you make the decision to put yeah. yourself out there, you are doing, you are enough just in that journey. Right. And so I wanted to come back to, I guess, like you, you beautifully stated kind of falling in love with the process. Do you have habits or things that you do, or maybe things that you advise and teach to entrepreneurs to accelerate their own ability to fall in love with the process instead of the outcome? 
Yeah. So I, I think it comes down to a lot of the um, like kind of calming and, and I'll give you a couple pieces of the puzzle. Morning routine and, and evening routine are, are really, really big for me. I don't do them perfectly all the time, but I add more components to them and do them yeah. more reliably when stress and, and pressure goes up. Right. You know, unfortunately, among all the entrepreneurs I've interviewed over the years, the number one answer that I get from folks when I ask, what do you intentionally change about your routine in your life? Like, what are your, you know, immutable laws of like, I will, I am not willing to do this when stress and pressure goes up. What is the number one thing you do? And uh, 90% of them, the answer is I work harder. <laughs> so they don't do anything for themselves. They basically just get out the whip and, and throw it on their back yeah. and whip it harder to try and get more out of themselves. So, you know, the way I think about it is like when pressure goes up, you, you add more of these things, right? So the, the first one is priming, typically positive psychological priming. There's a couple of good YouTube videos that I like to point people to. We can hopefully put them in the show notes so people can find them yeah. afterwards that are just, you know, just really like positive statements, positive imagery, things to just get the mind, you know, the mind and emotion kind of self-perpetuates. And so if you put positive things in your mind, you'll see things more positively, see things through a more positive lens, and you'll put more positive things out in the world, which then causes more positive things to come back. The second thing is visualization. So there's two parts to this. One part's really tricky, which is going backwards and kind of looking at false, like self-limiting false beliefs. This is often done in, in therapeutic settings. So if folks already do like cognitive behavioral therapy or lifespan integration with a therapist currently, you, you kind of have some background or experience with that. Those are two kind of buzzwords you can ask for if you go to a therapist and, and start to think about this. But you can go back and look at traumatic events that have created these, um, these self-limiting false beliefs and go back and retell the story to yourself repeatedly that it all turned out okay. <laughs> so you can go back and kind of uh, reprogram your subconscious. Forward-looking visualization is all around just, you know, what am I going to accomplish today and what is it? It's not exactly task setting, but it's um, how do I think about, like, it's basically telling yourself the story of stepping up to the three-point line and shooting the winning shot, right? Yeah. Like, I know I'm going to be on the court today, and so here's how the shot's going to go down. Here's exactly what my hand's going to look like when it extends, and here's what the ball's going to look like in the air. And you paint yourself the most vivid picture of success that you can to set yourself up for success. Yeah. And then the third one is, is, is breath work. Pass a couple links to you as well. Um, one of them is like a couple minute segment by Tony Robbins, who I realize is very polarizing, but I think this little uh, this little segment is is really good by him. There's a, a technique called box breathing that I learned from uh, Mark Devine, who wrote the book The Unbeatable Mind, and it's all about breath work and it's breath work and in coordinated movement with your body in order to, to flush cortisol out. So the stress hormone that, that builds up in our body, um, I think it's a great technique to use in the morning and also a great technique to use in the evening to calm the mind and, and prepare yourself for sleep. So what are all these things? Are they distractions from being focused on ego and success and accomplishment? I don't, I don't know exactly. I just know that they've worked for me. They make me feel very okay in the moment and make yeah. me less focused on needing that outside validation. Like I already feel like I've won because I visualized winning in the morning, right? So I don't need to go get an award. You know, I just shot the three pointer. You know, I'm sitting on, you know, on the side of my bed before I've even gotten up in the morning. And, you know, I've shot the three pointer 10 times and won the game 10 times. So it doesn't really matter what happens today. I'm, I'm good to go. Beautiful, man. I love the, and I love the simplicity. I have a morning routine and an evening routine myself. And one of the most important ones, and I kind of, I, I felt it in you, like it's to train your reticular activating system. Right? Like mm -hmm. It's essentially what you're doing. When you see positivity and you see all these elements of positivity, you start to notice more positive things and you just train your yeah. mind to see stuff that's already there, right? Like yeah. we're not creating anything new in the world. We're just elevating our own capacity to see, right? Yeah. So like for me, one of the most powerful practices has always been a practice of gratitude an act of appreciation. So before I need to be grateful, I start acting grateful. 
and I start practicing being grateful. But then for me, what that does is it kind of allows me to see more things to be grateful for. And it kind of just primes it. So it doesn't matter, I think, how you, I think as long as you're priming, I love that word priming. I think uh, it's just a great word for just priming yourself to almost like, like you're training your mind to start being on your side, right? Like you're essentially taking this massive subconscious supercomputer that takes senses from billions of data points and channeling it to say, hey, I want you to notice more of this and I want you to create more of this in my life. And then that creates this amazing, and then you don't have to go worry about work. You can work exactly how you're already going to work because you're priming yourself to be more aware, more conscious and more intentional during your work, which ultimately makes the process more enjoyable. Yeah. And you think about the the type of work that we're all pretty much engaged in these days. Well, not everybody that that sounds a little elitist, but like information economy, right? Like is a huge part of growing trend in the world. And so many of us work like you and I are doing right now on our laptops. Right. And we work from anywhere as long as we're connected to the internet and you know, like how much our hands can lift and how strong our back is like, don't really come into play anymore. Right. Like what our mind can do is the primary leveraging you know, resource that we have in order to deliver like our entire value to the world. So don't think about it from money and success, but more of just like, what can I do to impact and make the world a better place as a human being, whether it's for money or not, like that ability comes from my ability to operate my brain. And so if you're going to make yourself, um, like there, there's nothing better than making yourself healthy first. I mean, changing yourself changes the world. Like, I mean, there's so many examples of this. Like if you're in a positive state of mind and if you're in a place, if you're in a grateful state of mind, like whatever those, those prime states are, if you're operating from that space and you have an interaction with somebody, doesn't matter if it's a kid, an employee or anybody, and it's in a positive state, you influence that person's day, right? Like it's, it's, it's all, we're all connected. Like we're all just leaving these little trickles along the way. So if you don't take care of yourself first, you're going to inadvertently create a ripple that's going to go cause someone else to create another ripple, which then that person can create 300 ripples. And it's just this ongoing, it's like domino effect. Yeah. And so before we can change the world, I think it's, I think, I think the first thing to do is, is make your bed. Like, have you seen that um, commencement speech by the Navy SEAL? Uh, yeah. You know yeah talking about? Military guy. Military yeah. guy is like, yeah, if you yeah, want to change yeah. the world, start by making your bed. Start by making like your bed. I've got a good friend out here that does a lot of speaking around kind of priming the mind as well. And he, uh, he challenges his audience and actually gives them uh, a free uh, version of his product. If you send him a picture of you making your bed every day for 30 days after you see his speech, so good. <laughs> he'll send you his so product good. for free. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's I about love building, that. building the right habits. Yeah. Isn't that great? Oh, that's great. You're going to inspire me to try something similar. Now. <laughs> I, lo- I love the idea of like even the simple, small things, right? Like, and anybody listening, we're not asking you to go change and add all of these things to your diet. It's about committing to what feels right for you, right? Like it could be meditation. It could be just a simple gratitude practice. It could be even you just visualizing or, or picking up some sort of positive element to your day. So let me ask you this, Aaron. Like, I know that you're developing a system for founders in general, right? To almost to, to have that, that, that structure, what does that look like in, in a nutshell? Is it all of these things that you're talking about right now? Or is it, is, is it more of like a fluid operating system or is it more like a structure and a, and a way of life? I'd love to learn more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's six modules and we look at, um, it's basically, like you said, a system and a process for managing your personal resources and, and capacity as a person to have the impact that you want to have professionally. So ours is called uh, the Founders First System and it's focused for startup founders to, to handle the type of pressure and, and stress that we handle every day, that we endure every day. 
we don't always handle it so well. But, you know, it really applies to everyone who's trying to accomplish anything and puts themselves in harm's way and psychological harm's way in order to try and accomplish what they want to accomplish. And we're looking across those three critical resources of energy, emotion, and the physical body. And we've got five metrics that we help people use and kind of baseline to quantify themselves to figure out like, where am I now? How bad is the impact of stress on me right now affecting me across these three categories, energy, emotion, and physical body? And then we've got a bunch of tools, like a couple of the ones that I've mentioned here, that people can start to add into their routine in order to bring those, those metrics back in line. And it's really a language that people can use to look across those three resources and make sure that they're being you know, a proper custodian of those uh, assets. Can you define what energy is in, in the way you're describing it? Yeah, yeah, mine's mine's very uh, practical and that it's literally like how much energy do you feel like you have in this moment? Are you exhausted? Do you feel like you have the energy you need to bring to the room? It's not the kind of like spiritual energy yeah. outside of it. It's like, yeah, literally are you, you know, are you getting enough sleep and, you know, keeping your mind calm and keeping away from those high spikes that cause your body to force out, you know, adrenaline and cortisol that eats up all the blood sugar in your body that then makes you hungry and go eat junk food and gets you into all these bad cycles, right? So we're looking at, you know, it's a, it's a self-reported measure of how much energy you feel like you have to bring to the challenges that you have in front of you right now. So when we talked about the, the psychological, you know, part of burnout earlier, right? There's the physical exhaustion, but then there's also the emotional exhaustion side of it. Like that's what I'm talking about with energy where you literally just, you know, I have a challenge I've got to go through tomorrow and I, I have so little energy that I just don't care anymore, right? We've all been there before. Yeah. What are some real-time markers that you think are useful for anybody listening, and even myself selfishly, that we can pay attention to to know whether we're operating at a lower baseline energy or really at for operating? Because I think you said it yourself, like when you're in that state of stress, it's kind of like a fish yeah. in water, right? It doesn't realize it's in water. It's just swimming around mm-hmm. in water. So like yep. if you're constantly enveloped in it, uh, or I don't know if that's the right word, but if you're constantly in that yeah. state, right, at all times, like it's hard for you to even know that there's a problem. So when do you know, or are there metrics that you track or anything that you can see real time to tell you like, hey, you need to slow down or hey, this is a time for you to change or you need to make some changes? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a couple ways to look at it. So I think a lot of people are wearing the, the aura smart tracking ring now, right? Hey, you got one too. Boom. Yep. Yeah. Right. So like there's, there's a couple pieces of data on there that I like. One is like how long it took uh, during sleep in order to reach your lowest heart rate, which just tells you a lot about like how much recovery your body was having to do uh, through the evening. So if you're pushing yourself really hard during the day and getting to absolute zero, it could be mental or even physical, like the the ring picks that up, right? Because it's like, you know, it took until 30 minutes before you woke up until you hit your lowest heart rate, your body's working and and replenishing a lot of things. The amount of time, I think they call it latency in the app, um, the amount of time it takes from when you lay down to you go to sleep, right? If it's, if it's less than five minutes, that's actually used in a lot of things to warn us that we're too tired when we're going to sleep. So we're pushing ourselves too far to the point that we're just falling asleep. I pushed myself too far this last week. Uh, I, fell, I fell asleep in an Uber. <laughs> the guy had to wake me up when we got back to my house. <laughs> this was in the middle of the day at like 11 a.m. That was a good sign, right? So if you're yawning, falling asleep during the day, all the basic things, basically how I got myself through college by sleeping in the back of the classroom, falling asleep and yawning all the time. Um, like you're, you don't have enough energy to get through the day. And if you're relying on caffeine, right? I think that's a big indicator. Um, I don't do any caffeine because to me, it's a total bandaid. And if I need caffeine to stay awake or to get energy, then I need to do something else. (laughs) I need to fix the underlying source of it. Okay. Dude, super, super clear. Now, energy is one part. What about the emotional side? 
Like, how do you know when those are out of check? Yeah. So like I talked about before, thinking about the sine wave from kind of manic to depressive and in the middle kind of being calm and steady emotionally. I like to think about that as like an amplitude from positive 10 to negative 10. So what is the height from the, the highest point of the wave to the lowest point of the wave and shrinking that? I ask people to, to self-report that on a daily basis. This is something I did last year. I did it for, uh, for over two years. I did it for 500 days in a row. And I tracked the correlation with my happiness, my anxiety level, and also a bunch of other activities, whether I did or didn't do them each day. Like, did I exercise? Did I get at least eight hours of sleep? Um, and so I tracked what was my highest elevated mood point and what was my lowest depressed mood point, just on a one to 10, and then watched how those changed over time. So I don't have the perfect answer that we should all be like, you know, less than, you know, within positive three and negative three, but smaller has always proven to be better for me. So, you know, again, being a data guy, I like to ask people to try and quantify that. We all know what 10 high feels like, you know, heart racing, (laughs) thrilled, amped, jumping up and down, you know, can't keep your hands, you know, they just want to go like this, right? You're totally ready to go. We all know what depressed feels like. You can't get out of bed. You know, hopefully we haven't all experienced negative 10 depression. I think I've probably been negative seven or negative eight before. Luckily, never been to, to negative 10. But, you know, it's it's a bad place. I think we can all envision what those end yeah. gaps are. And then in the middle is, you know, is that, that beautiful calm that we find every once in a while where we don't feel pulled in either direction. So self-reporting that and tracking, I think, is critical to understand where we are. Our measurements may, may not be perfect, but in, in benchmarking against where we were before, they're extremely helpful to see if we're affecting the change that we want. When you said you tracked, that's super fascinating. You tracked all the data. Like, where you put it, do you have it in like a spreadsheet or something? Like, where yeah, you yeah. Had, Google Docs so spreadsheet. It's like, yeah. so like when you looked at that data across like the days you did exercise, the days you did all those things, like, was there like a, a common defining sort of like thread around like which days gave you the most satisfaction? Yeah. There, yeah, that's what I was looking for. So I was tracking nine different activities. I ended up taking one off and adding two in the, in the later part, maybe a year in. Yeah, I was looking for correlation. For me, it ended up being sleep. And eight hours is actually not even enough for me. Um, nine hours of sleep. The aura ring just beats me up constantly. Like I can be in bed yeah, 10 hours. Me too, like, man. Eight. And I'm like, come on. Like <laughs> to sleep nine hours, I have to be in bed like 12. So I'm, I'm working on that constantly. Sleep was a huge one. For me, exercise was a huge one. I just grew up playing sports and competitive sports all the way, not through college, but through high school. So I think in my most formative development years, I burned a lot of energy before I started my day every day with 5 a.m. practices and two a days. And so now if I don't exercise, my body's just amped up to a whole nother level. And it's like, why, why, aren't, we, why aren't we hitting this uh, exercise stress that we used to hit? One of them that was really interesting that I put on there that I ended up taking off because it didn't correlate was mental challenge. I was like, I always want to be challenged with something mentally, you know, be working with a, with a team on something challenging, trying to solve a challenging problem. It's not that that isn't important to me in some ways, but um, it just didn't really correlate to happiness actually in the end for me. I ended up finding myself being pretty happy with relaxing too, despite the number of years I spent being a very, very type A person and I will always be. Um, I found that things like, you know, playing guitar or going for a bike ride or going for a hike around the neighborhood or just into the mountains right here behind my house worked better. Mm, beautiful, dude. Dude, I love just how data-driven you are. I think it's because I, I just I think that's such an important element of of health and well being that doesn't get talked about enough. Like what you measure gets changed. I think that's really yeah. I think that's what it was. But yeah, I mean, if you're not t- keeping track, it's it's just crazy hard to to make those changes consistently. So I'm really grateful that you shared that because uh, I think sleep is absolutely one of the most important things we should be focusing on. I stuck at it 
hard, but yeah. I, I'm working no, on I'm, it. I'm bad at it, but I'm working on it too. Yeah. Aaron, man, this has been such a beautiful conversation. I really appreciate you being here. Um, I got one last question for you and everybody listening, you know, all the stuff that Aaron talked about, do you want to mention the website real quick? We'll put it in the show notes yeah. as well, but yeah, absolutely. Everything's live at uh, foundersfirstsystem.com where you can learn about our workshops and upcoming digital course on this topic. And we're helping save entrepreneurs from themselves so they can change the world. Yeah. And guys, if you haven't, if, if this conversation has been any indication, health and self-care, your own emotional well-being is probably one of the most important things you can do if you're on the journey of entrepreneurship. So um, yeah, if it, just we'll make all of these links available in the show notes. Aaron, I got one last question for you, brother. In the midst of everything you're doing, everything, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? By reminding myself that I am okay and I am enough. Simple. Simple, straight to the point, mic drop. Oh, man. Well, Aaron, again, thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate your time here. Um, But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Aaron. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.